Welcome to the Team Health podcast program, Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency. I'm Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is one of our series discussing new practice venues and the future of medicine, or in this particular segment, telemedicine. So let's dig in. Telemedicine is now the time. Uh, the pandemic has expanded the need for and urgency for effectively delivered telemedical care. Is this an opportunity for natural expansion of medical expertise, both in the field, pre-hospital care, and in consultative care, provider to provider? Just what are the opportunities, the risks, the training, the requirements? What are the backup systems? You'll have the opportunity to listen to Joe Chow, an expert and creator of a national program soon to be in 50 states and be able to determine if this is an opportunity for you and the people with whom you practice. And our guest expertise, as mentioned, is Dr. Joseph Chow. Uh, Dr. Chow is Team Health's President of Ambulatory Care and Medical Director of Access Nurse. And he is an expert as Joe is the recent past president of the National, National Urgent Care Association. And by recent, I mean, Joe was president until the end of April. He's a leader who has worked closely with ambulatory care facilities to ensure quality and safety, effective relationships among team members, and solid business practices. And I don't know how he finds the time. He is among the academic faculty at the University of Buffalo. So why today? Dr. Chow, as mentioned, is the medical director of a team that has launched a national program. Joe, thank you for lending your expertise to us. Rob, thank you. Happy, uh, very happy to be here to talk uh, some time about telemedicine. Great. So Joe, describe the marketplace pressures behind the remarkable telemedical growth. Yeah, Rob, when we think about telemedicine, um, telemedicine, we've been actually practicing telemedicine from, for many years now. And when I say, we, not only our group, but many groups uh, have been practicing telemedicine. If you think about what's been happening in the past, uh, rural emergency rooms, uh, teleneurology, tele telepsych, this is actually not completely new. But as you mentioned, it's certainly the pandemic has thrusted uh, telemedicine into uh, really everyday visits. Um, with the pandemic, there was that need to provide the care for people who couldn't get the care or even for providers who couldn't give the care at that time. Uh, so telemedicine is again, not new, but as you mentioned, the pandemic has really thrust it uh, really to, to many patients and expanded the coverage uh, for patients to get care through this modality. So I remember the long lines and teletriage, uh, parking lot tents uh, that have occurred, which thankfully have mostly gone away. Um, but there hasn't been consistent support. Uh, I wonder how payers and institutions have supported the growth. Yes, yeah, so I'll answer that with uh, maybe the institutions first. So certainly the, from the institution standpoint, uh, there has been great support. Uh, so when we take a look at uh, medical groups, when we take a look at hospital systems, uh, there's certainly been support in this modality to, again, to provide that care to the patients who may not have been able to get that care, um, certainly with the pandemic. I think from the standpoint of the, the payers, I'm gonna say a, a yes and we'll see uh, answer to it. 
Um, certainly the payers have also embraced this modality uh, for the same reasons that we've talked about, just the access to care. Now I said, we'll see, uh, because there's always the, is it too easy to get care from that standpoint? And so are we managing patients effectively and cost effectively, or is there actually more visits because it is easier to, to access care through telemedicine? So uh, again, I don't need to give two answers, but I do think there's generally uh, a, a, um, a like of telemedicine to expand. But I think we'll have to see if telemedicine does uh, you know, how many visits it does create. So uh, that's why I gave you the, the we'll see from the standpoint, from that standpoint. So let me do a follow-up on that. Uh, the payments that have actually begun to occur, do they seem, and you would know as well as anybody, do they seem fair for the services rendered? They do seem fair. And the, the reason why uh, the expansion of telemedicine, certainly because of the pandemic, the public health emergency has provided parity for this payments. And so parity has provided um, essentially equal payment for in-person as well as telemedicine visits. Uh, so from that standpoint, um, certainly I think most practitioners and institutions would say uh, this is something that um, is worthwhile and continues to be worthwhile to do. Now, again, the we'll see part of it again is always when the public health emergency ends, what's gonna happen with the payments? Will the payments be the same through telemedicine as it is in person? Um, that remains to be seen. And the public health emergency has been extended at least into uh, July of this year, which is coming up very quickly. So I think a lot of groups that are doing telemedicine are eagerly, eagerly awaiting what's gonna happen after the PHE. Um, again, I won't hazard a guess right now, but it may wind up somewhere in between. Uh, but again, that's something that um, we'll see in the coming months. Yes, uh, we will. So there are thousands of physicians who might have an interest. Can I just sign up and be on a shift the next day? Um, when we take a look at telemedicine, the short answer is, is no, because telemedicine is truly a specialty. Um, just like any other specialty, um, it does take some training. And with telemedicine especially, you may have the clinical background, uh, but there's a whole host of skills that you'll need for telemedicine. And so we're norm we are used to going into a room to see a patient, we have that familiar environment. Um, how is it um, treating patients when let's say the patient is in a different environment? They could be in a car, hopefully not driving, but they could be somewhere outside of our normal exam room. Think about the clinician. The clinician's usually in the exam room. You may be outside. You may be at home and have a lot of things to maneuver. So I think when we talk about telemedicine, telemedicine is really a specialty that uh, the environment is very different and the tools that you have are different. And even the medicine is different. And so think about the last time clinicians have seen patients, but you couldn't put your hand on the patient. And so a new part of the training could be if I can't listen to my patient's lungs or if I can't push, you may have to have the patient do some of these and do it on your behalf. Um, there may be devices, uh, remote devices that are coming up, actually not even coming. They're actually here now where you have to start learning, hey, this is how I'm gonna look at an ear through a video, through a device that the patient has, or I'll listen to their lungs uh, through a device that I have to hear through audio through my computer. So 
Um, I think clinicians, if they have a good clinical foundation, absolutely, uh, they'll likely be able to do telemedicine, but they have to be able to connect uh, with a patient and also um, recognize uh, if a patient uh, just by video, by a quick video, whether they're sick or they need to be seen in person. So um, could you do it? it? If you're a great clinician, you probably can, but th there's always other training that you would really need to work on uh, to become a very effective telemedicine clinician. So I, I accept that there's probably a lot of training involved. And one thing you mentioned was connecting with the patients, which might feel quite different um, in a telemedicine environment, particularly as you're asking them to do things that you would normally do. Uh, so you, I, I, can you tell me a little more about that relationship development in telemedicine that's different and special? Sure, Rob. If you, I think even if you go by all of our experiences, I think um, society has been much more reliant on videos uh, interactions and how different that feels. Um, and I, I know everywhere people would say there's nothing like being there in person. So even from a visit, um, you can't necessarily read their body language um, because you're going off a of video. And so that relationship really and trust really needs to be developed rather quickly. And so there's another skill for clinicians is to be able to develop that trust as well as that relationship with the patient uh, over video. I will even add to that, some telemedicine may not even have the tele. Um, much of the mm -hmm. care can be done by a telephone where you may not be able to see the patient and just go by voice. And there are certainly modalities within tele the telemedicine bucket that's called asynchronous visits. And with asynchronous visits, you may not see a patient, um, you may not even hear their voice. You may just go by what they type in as well as pictures. And so there is a vast amount of skill that uh, clinicians need to be able to interact with patients, uh, again, whether by video, by phone, or perhaps just by fix, uh, pictures as well as text. It's fascinating. Could you describe in a little more detail how an asynchronous visit might work? Sure. I, I think um, everyone would probably understand whether you have uh, texted a question to, let's say, a family member who may be in the medical field, or you're in the medical field, and you get a text from your relative or friend. And so typically how it would work is, let's say you get a message from a family member that says, hey, I have an itchy rash on my back that's red, and I got it three days ago after gardening. Um, you've basically done an asynchronous visit uh, because um, you didn't see them. Uh, you're going by what they have just written. Um, if they can send you a picture, that certainly adds more information. And they may not be expecting you to answer right away. If you're busy, you may wind up responding to them an hour later. So the asynchronous uh, really means that it doesn't necessarily have to be the you know, the volleying back and forth immediately, it could be done at a time later. And typically, again, it's done by the written text with pictures with or without pictures. And so if you had that experience ever, whether you've given or received that, uh, you get that call or say, hey, what's this? This is what's happening. Um, that's, uh, that's an asynchronous visit. I have a lot of family members and uh, performed an asynchronous visit yesterday for an asthma albuterol refill. So I, <laughs> I get it. Um, so uh, is it better for patients? Do they like it? 
pa patients love it. Um, really, when we think about um, the time we're in, it's uh, convenience. Um, you know, patients really want to be treated on their time um, and actually in their place now also. And I think from the, from the medical world, we need to be able to meet these needs uh, where patients are. Uh, you know, time is precious and, and patients no longer uh, will want to wait, uh, you know, one hour, let alone uh, even 30 minutes. And so uh, that instant to access to care and plus to give spacing too. There, there are certainly some things that patients uh, need care for, but perhaps it may be a, a sensitive topic that they feel, hey, I'm best if I, you know, don't do it in front of a camera. Maybe I do uh, do it through writing uh, or text. And so patients really love the convenience of it. Um, clinicians, I believe, really enjoy it also uh, because, uh, again, it's very efficient. Uh, let's say you had three family members that text you. Uh, perhaps you want to answer them all at the same time in half an hour as long as it's not uh, something that's urgent or emergent. Uh, and clinicians typically with these modalities, they have certainly the um, ability to reach back out to the patient to say, hey, I need a little bit more information from you. Can you answer a few of these other questions that I have? And then they'll send the message back to, back to us. Or can you take a picture of that? And, and you'd be surprised these days, or maybe not, uh, the technology. You could take a picture. I can magnify that picture probably better than my old eyes can see that. And so many times and when they do take a picture, it's a fantastic resolution and you can rotate it and you can enlarge it. Um, so, so I think this modality um, is really well liked by patients as well as clinicians. Well, I, I understand the convenience factor for sure. I mean, I know that you live in Buffalo, which has an unfair uh, reputation as being a difficult environment in the winter. And it certainly makes sense to not have to travel to an urgent care center or even an emergency department and maybe wait a prolonged period of time. So I get why patients might be really appreciative. Let me go ask another question that relates to something you said. A, a, a moment ago, I asked, well, couldn't I just jump in? So what clinician would have an interest in practicing telemedicine? Yeah, that's a great question, Rob. Um, we found that um, actually many clinicians do. And so it's not just one. Um, I think people traditionally would say the clinician who is in the uh, latter parts of their career that just wants something that may be a slower pace and, and more of a familiar and safe environment. Uh, while that is also true, we've actually found that the, the exact opposite also is true, where new physicians and clinicians uh, want to be able to do this. Um, they want to be able to have this additional skill. And that certainly talks to where telemedicine fits into really uh, the trajectory of people's careers. So not only can it prolong careers, but also gives clinicians that additional skill that they can actually expand their careers in person. Uh, through telemedicine, uh, really that's a pathway that we see a lot of clinicians going. Um, and so I don't think I can put uh, my finger on exactly what's here, what's the typical prototypical clinician that can do this. I can say that we were pleasantly surprised that when we set up our telemedicine that we do have all ends of the spectrum, younger, older, you know, I'd say in between uh, experienced clinicians, uh, really, the, the cross-section is very diverse. And so it's uh, we've been very happy at seeing that. Interesting. 
We've talked uh, a bit about direct provider to patient. Um, can you talk a little bit about provider to provider, particularly in a rural setting? Yes, Rob, yeah, you mentioned it perfectly. When we spoke earlier about um, also why people um, love this and how the pandemic, because patients could not get in, uh, you mentioned our weather first. first. Um, certainly, what happens in a snowstorm uh, where patients can't get out of their house? Um, telemedicine is a great option. Um, mentioned also potentially, let's say, rural settings where there may not be that in-person resource. Telemedicine is another great resource to be able to connect clinicians to clinicians. Um, I would say it's not only from a, a supervisory standpoint uh, where you can have a physician supervise an APC, uh, but you can also have second opinions. And so you can have physicians and physicians collaborating, uh, let's say a general practitioner with a specialty services, let's say for example, cardiology, uh, even orthopedics who can get pictures sent to them, uh, neurology, you can almost name uh, any specialty. Uh, clinicians can all benefit from the ability to have that resource, Adam, uh, given to them uh, really in this type of fashion. Um, you know, Rob, I'll, I'll give you an example. I did see a patient um, several weeks ago who actually needed additional care, but she broke her foot. And so you can see that's you know, not weather related, uh, doesn't even have to be setting related, but just physically couldn't get uh, to the physician's office. Or, or if she did, boy, it'd be, it'd be tough for me to make her get into a car with a broken foot and drive and uh, try to get care, uh, especially if it's something that we can take care of uh, through telemedicine safely. Um, that's something that, again, that patient really appreciated the ability uh, to rest her foot, but also get care. So you've given a lot of examples of how telemedicine is working and what has led to its current utilization. Where, where is telemedicine going, do you think? Um, one thing I would say, telemedicine, where it's not, it's not going away. Um, certainly with, with the pandemic, there was a sharp rise in the amount of visits. Um, with uh, the world opening up and many practices opening back up to their patients, especially uh, primary care offices, um, it, we see that the, the number of visits may have uh, eased off a little bit, but it's never going to go back to where it was uh, prior to the pandemic. Um, I think telemedicine visits now have really become a fabric of almost all specialties um, and patients now expect it. I think several years ago when we talked about um, you know, even our urgent carers or medical groups, um, you know, do you have telemedicine? If it was asked, if you said yes, I think a lot of people may be surprised. Uh, I think if you fast forward to right now, if the patient asked, Again, fill in the blank, urgent care, primary care specialty, do you have telemedicine? Uh, if you say no, I, I think it, that feels strange now. And so in a very short amount of time in the past several years, I think the pendulum has shifted, um, certainly from uh, patients with that expectations. And I think clinicians and institutions, as you mentioned, uh, I think there is clear uh, need for that. And so telemedicine has truly become the fabric uh, part of um, how we practice medicine. Well, it's fascinating. And I can see around me the, the growth of it. 
So speaking of the future, how do future technologies fit into telemedicine? Boy, the technologies has really made uh, telemedicine very exciting and really stretched um, almost our imagination of what can be done uh, through telemedicine in, in any setting, even home. Um, I'll give you an example. A group here, even locally, is now able to do uh, tests for sleep apnea, even with an app, um, so that patients don't need to go to other facilities. They can do it at home. And so if you think about that, that even several years ago, I don't think any of us would think that um, one can do something like that. Um, technology is certainly, um, I think, invested in uh, healthcare. And I think we can see that this is going to expand uh, devices. You can even go to your local uh, technology store, retail store, and find that there's home devices, uh, devices that you can uh, look into your ear that actually guides the patients, you know, oh, you got the right picture. Uh, it can guide you to take your oxygen levels. You can actually hover it over your, well, put it on your chest wall and, and take a listen to your heart as well as your lungs. Uh, I'm sure everybody has heard about EKGs by a finger. Um, this is just um, touching the tip of the iceberg. And so when we think about what technology can do and start, you know, clinicians start thinking about how can we practice medicine um, with all this information with the patient at home, uh, boy, this is really going to be exciting times, I think, for the telemedicine field um, as technology somewhat lifts all boats, uh, does lift also the medical community, and, and we'll see uh, uh, a lot of the great things that can be done uh, in the near future. I can imagine a time in the not too distant future where people are going to say, well, how did we practice without all of these technologies? It was so inconvenient and patient unfriendly. Uh, sounds like this is a, a, uh, a wonderful innovation for clinicians as well as patients. Would you provide us perhaps with some closing thoughts? Yes, um, we're, so we're, we're, we're no longer, I would think, in the early stages of, of telemedicine, but I, but I feel we're still at the early stages of exactly what it can do. Hmm. And again, technology certainly plays a big role in it with devices, uh, with uh, even hospital care at home at some point uh, very soon. So uh, telemedicine is really uh, expanded, and, and, and I think the trajectory will continue to go up. Um, patients are consumers also now, and again, I don't mean to say that in a bad way, uh, patients need access to care. Um, patients, uh, everyone's time is valuable. So not only the, the convenience of telemedicine, but if you can back that up with quality care uh, by clinicians um, that have that experience and who have that training, um, I, I think telemedicine is certainly a win-win for, for institutions, for payers, for patients. Uh, and all around. So um, telemedicine is here to stay. And again, it's exciting to be part of this and it's exciting to see where it's, where it's gonna go in the uh, future. And, and future could, you know, even just one to two years. I think if we have a follow-up conversation, Rob, I think even two years from now, we'll look back and say, wow, that's, uh, we've gotten a lot further uh, over the past few years. Um, I, I think that certainly will be the case in the amount of clinicians uh, who become very good at this uh, I think we'll see that expand also. So very exciting time for, for, for telemedicine. Um, and again, uh, I think the role is going to continue to uh, advance. 
Well, I look forward to that conversation or many conversations in the future with you. And it does sound like there's enormous opportunity and growth uh, that's valuable for patients, clinicians, institutions, even uh, those who pay for the care. Uh, so, Joe, thank you for spending this time with us. Uh, it's fascinating. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. Uh, pleasure to be here. I hope you've enjoyed this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast. Uh, if you have any questions about this topic, an important topic, or suggestions for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.